0: You are listening to Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Kentucky. Here at RUF, we believe that you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, and you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out at ruf.org backslash UK or on Instagram at UKRUF. Thanks so much for listening.
1: I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from him. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against this stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had lifted every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he caught synagogues, being glorified
0: by all. And we really do mean it. Uh, we really believe here at RUF that there's uh, no one on this campus, on this planet, Uh, that is uh, so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace and there's no one so good uh, that doesn't need God's grace. And so um, regardless of where you're coming from tonight, uh, we are really glad uh, that you're here. When I was in uh, college after my sophomore year, I worked at a summer camp and uh, beforehand I signed up that I'd be interested in being a lifeguard and so I got to go early. I think the main reason I went is because they offered uh, paid training and so Got there, I'd never lifeguarded before, swam some, uh, and uh, day one, we get, kind of get our, our itinerary for the week. We arrived a week early, and I was thinking like, oh, this be kind of fun, chill training. Uh, some of you may have done lifeguard training before. It's, uh, it's not really that chill, especially if you're trying to combine it all into like four or five days, and I remember seeing it like, well, we're going to be in the pool like, all day, and asking the guys like, are we really going to be like in the pool all day? And he was like, yeah. He's like, did you not read your job description? Like, there's gonna be hundreds of kids in the pool, and you're there to, like, maintain order, and, like, you're going to have to jump in this summer and, like, probably save some of them, and some of them probably won't want to be saved or don't think they need to be saved, and, like, you, you've got to maintain order, and you got to know what to do in the case of emergency. Like, of course we're going to train hard. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I, I guess I, I probably should have known that. This is a hard job and requires a lot of training. Um, in the passage Kyle just read for us, uh, I don't want us to lose sight of, of the first two verses and, and how uh, important they are, but also how uh, revolutionary they are in the ways that we think about who Jesus was and what he does. It really is surprising, I think, especially in light of a lot of conversations I have with, with you all, I think it's easy to forget Jesus was tempted. Jesus, uh, as we'll read in a moment from Hebrews 4, has been tempted in every way like us, uh, yet without sin. And we need to hear this um, because we uh, often operate like I did when I went into lifeguard training. Um, I think it is easy for us uh, to become so discouraged even dismayed uh, when we experience temptation. Uh, Maybe even surprised or or wondering why. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time uh, and you're going through this. Or maybe you're a new Christian. You thought, okay, I thought life was going to get easier when I became a Christian and now I'm finding that I'm being tempted more. I'm more aware of my temptations. What good news it is to know that we have a Savior who has actually walked the road of temptation. Hebrews 4 puts it this way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus has been tempted. The God who saves you is also the God who has entered into a world full of temptation. There are versions of Christianity out there, whether you've seen them on social media or maybe they're just in your head or maybe you've uh, been in a church that kind of promotes this idea that if you kind of do things right in the Christian life, uh, do what the Bible says, you know, show up to church, kind of do all the right things and show up at the right places, then the Christian life should be kind of easy and, and happy. Um. The more you read the Bible, I think the greater you will see what a lie that is. And we looked at this last week. Jesus himself was born in the midst of a mess, in the midst of obscurity, uh, in the midst of humility. And, 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 and his suffering doesn't stop there. It continues throughout his life. And we see that here in Luke 4. Uh, if you follow Jesus... You are not immune from temptation. In fact, you'll probably become more aware of it as your walk with Jesus progresses. Uh, We will face temptation in this life and we will fail. And what you need to know tonight is that we have a savior uh, who has walked that road and is actually so committed to redeeming his people uh, that he took on flesh and entered into temptation yet without sin, that he might deliver us and that he might help us in the midst of temptation. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at how Satan tempts us and how Jesus delivers us. Two things. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, uh, we come tonight, all of us come, uh, being tempted in different ways, Lord. Uh, Every moment we just sang, we, we just sang that we need you every hour. And Lord, we need you every hour because every hour we're tempted in different ways, Uh, Lord. And so our prayer tonight is that you would grant us hope in the midst of our temptation. Hope that there is a way out, but also, Lord, help. We pray that we would also be helped in the midst of temptation. Father, guide us, mold us, and make us, and point us to Jesus tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so if you look at this passage, you see there's, there's kind of, what uh, we'll kind of look at it in a second, is that, that there's one common thread to all these temptations, but there's, there's kind of three different ways Jesus is tempted, is tempted. You know, verse 3, Satan comes to him after he's fasted for 40 days. Hey, why don't you just turn this rock into bread? T- turn this stone into bread. If you're the son of God, turn the stone into bread. Um, verse 7, if you bow down and worship me, all these kingdoms of the world that you see, and takes them to this high, high place. All of this can be, work, can be yours. Don't worry about going to the cross. Like it, it can all be all yours now. Uh, and then lastly, he kind of tells them to do something reckless. Like, hey, uh, if you're the son of God, like, you know, throw yourself off this building. Throw yourself off this wall. It would have been about maybe 90 feet tall. Um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you push God to the limit and, and see if he'll really test you. Literally... This this illustration popped in my lap this week. I was talking to my son. I was putting him to bed, and he noticed our he he can see our neighbor's house from his window, and just out of the blue, he's like, "Man, it'd be so cool, Dad. What if I climbed out my window and jumped off our roof into our yard?" And I was like, "I was like, Patrick, Don't do that. Like that'd be crazy." And he's like, "Well, yeah, but God would protect me." I was thinking. Patrick, I'm actually preaching on this passage and uh, it says not to put the Lord your God to the test. And um, he looked at me with a blank stare and then we uh, prayed together and he went to bed. Um, But Satan's doing the same thing. Like, hey, if God really loves you, why don't you just push him to the test? Why don't you do whatever you want and see if he'll actually deliver you? See if he actually still cares for you. Uh, And in all of these, in all of these temptations, there's one common phrase repeated twice. If you're the son of God, right before he tempts him to turn the stone into bread, right before he tempts him to jump off the the wall, if you're the son of God, why don't you do these things? You know what he's getting Jesus to doubt? He's getting Jesus to doubt his father's care for him. Hey, if God is your father and he's almighty and he's powerful, why don't you just go ahead and do this? Um, Why don't you go ahead and do this thing? And so he's t- he's t- he brings him to these places. He says, if God really cares for you, why don't you just act whatever the way you want to act? He's getting Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt that his father truly loves him and is truly for him. Some of you are familiar. You, you've seen this before in, in movies. This is like the, the villain guy in, in Marvel Civil War, you know, helmet, helmet. Uh, What's his whole role? His whole role in that movie is just planting seeds of mistrust and doubt. Uh, he says, uh, I, talking about the Avengers, you know, he says, I couldn't kill them. More powerful men than me have tried, but if I could get them to kill each other. What's he trying to do? He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to divide them. He's trying to pin them against each other. And that's exactly what Satan is trying to do with Jesus against his heavenly father. It's exactly, and, and this all sh- might sound familiar to some of you, because it's the same tactic he uses in Genesis 3. When he shows up in the garden, well, what does he say to Adam and Eve? Surely God didn't say you can't eat of the fruit of the tree of, in the garden. Like, God knows if you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Well, what's he getting Adam and Eve to do? Surely God wouldn't tell you not to do that. That thing's awesome. It looks so fun and enticing. If God loves you, he would allow you to do it. And Satan doing the same thing here in this passage. And he seems doing the same thing in your life and my life. All of us are tempted in different ways. I don't know the ways each of you are tempted uniquely. But there is a constant thread in, in, in the midst of all of our temptations. We're tempted to believe, okay, God is calling me to do this. Or maybe God says in his word, I, I know he calls me to be, to be honest and, and to have integrity. Um, but man, it'd be so much easier right now if I just didn't have to like, tell that person that I did that um, or tell my parents that I'm currently doing this in college. Um, yeah, I, I know scripture calls us to respect others and, and for our speech to be seasoned with salt and that other people are created in the image of God. But man, it, it is kind of fun to gossip about people and to kind of like celebrate when they fail. There's always this temptation that that, that what God is calling you to is not worth it. And that there is a better escape. And that's exactly what Satan is doing here. It's exactly what he does with us. If if God really loved me, this would be easy. (laughs) That's the temptation. Like, if God really loved me, life would be easy and life would be fun. And so I'm just going to go with the thing that's easy and fun. That's the lie Satan wants us to believe. Um, We don't believe. We believe our situation's too hard. We believe there's a better way out. And Satan would love for us in that moment to trust ourselves and our wants and our desires over what God wants. There's this amazing scene in uh, Hunger Games. Y'all remember this? Uh, Maybe. It's been like 11 years. Um, But... You know, Katniss and Peeta grow up in the same district, District 12. Uh, she's poor, he's poor, but he's the son of a baker. And one day he sees her and he has mercy on her. He, she, he kind of throws her some bread. Uh, then, of course, you fast forward however many years later and they both get chosen for the Hunger Games. And now this person that previously had been kind to her and shown her mercy, now she has to compete against. And, like literally she has to kill. She has to like, she has to hate this person that showed her mercy. And the only way Katniss can do that is by downplaying the mercy that Peter showed to her. Anytime we're tempted to sin, what Satan would love for us to do is to forget what God is like, to downplay his mercy, to downplay his goodness, and to play up our desires and what we want to do, we are most open to sinning when Jesus's mercy seems like a distant thing, when Jesus' goodness seems far away from us. Of course, we're going to be most open to not trusting Him and not following Him. And so, so, so Satan has this two pronged approach. He wants us to doubt God's goodness, and he wants us to serve ourselves. And, and you see this in the temptations uh, that He brings to Jesus because. If we're honest, these temptations at at first glance are a little bit strange. Like, Satan is like the tempter. And you might be reading this and thinking like, man, couldn't he come up with like some better temptations? Like turning a stone into bread, you know, hurling yourself off a wall. Like he could have tempted Jesus in any way. And and these are the ways he chose to tempt Jesus. But but here's the deal. In, In all of these temptations... If Jesus had used his miraculous power to do any of them, it would have been the first and only time in all of Scripture that Jesus would have used his power to serve his own needs rather than others. Jesus does all sorts of amazing. We're going to look at a lot of the amazing things he does in Scripture as we study Luke this fall. But you'll notice it's always. It's always a sacrificial giving. He's always using his power for the benefit of others, to bring life to others, to bring light into darkness. Satan is trying to get Jesus to change his mission, which is perfectly summed up in Philippians 2. What did Jesus, Jesus came to sacrifice, to, to give his life as a ransom for many. And Satan here is trying to get him to use all of his energy and power to serve himself there was a fascinating study. It was released about seven years ago. There's an article in the Atlantic Monthly about it uh, from 2014, but uh, there's two psychologists in New York City, John Gottman and his wife, Julie, and they, they, they studied uh, thousands of marriages uh, from the 1970s on. And they, they divided these marriages into kind of two, uh, two categories. Um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna freak. master's, and disasters, masters and disasters. Uh, masters, uh, after six years, their marriage was thriving and healthy. Uh, disasters, they weren't all complete disasters, but after, after six years, those marriages were either struggling or had ended. And, and, they, and they give, uh, it's a really long report, lots of research, but I thought it was fascinating. W- one of the things they mention, that, that marriages that survived and thrived during those six years, w- one of the common characteristics was effort shown by both spouses to take an interest in something the other spouse was interested in. So they give the example of like a a man sitting at the window and be like, honey, look, it's a cardinal. And like the wife may not be that interested in bird watching, but she takes the time to be like, oh my gosh, that's cool. You know, for example, my wife doesn't like soccer. She doesn't like it when Ireland plays soccer. I don't know either, they're terrible. But, you know, I'll tell her... uh, The result, and, you know, she takes an interest. Uh, Why? Because she's kind and she's patient and she she loves me. But you know what? That might sound like the most basic marriage advice, but that's really hard. It's not always easy, and we don't always want to take an interest in something that someone else is interested in. Sometimes it's easier to blow that person off, and that's what they found in in the other marriages, that that it is easier sometimes to be like, whatever, or, you know what, I really don't have the energy to do this. Um, I, don't really ha- I don't really want to get into this. It, but it takes sacrifice to actually engage someone and to love someone over the long haul. And it's really easy to do the opposite. It's really easy to ignore. It's really easy when things are hard rather than to confront or talk about it than just to be bitter. Uh, and it's really easy for us to do the same thing. In the midst of temptation, it can be really easy for us, and look, we are bombarded with this. You know, if there's, if there's one unified marketing scheme across all things, it's like, hey, take care of you. Like, meet your needs above everything. Now, of course, our needs are important. Of course, it's important for you to take care of yourself. Uh, but when that's the only thing we're consumed with, or if that's the number one thing above all else, um, inevitably, our heart is going to grow cold to others. It's going to be consumed with us. Jesus knows that about ourselves. Jesus knows that you and I are obsessed with ourselves. And that's why he took on flesh to die for us. That's why he took on flesh and did battle against. That's why he experienced the temptation for selfishness, that he might deliver us. And, and so that's what I'm to look at just briefly before we end is, is how does he battle? In the midst of temptation, how does Jesus... We're in the midst of temptation. How are we to battle against sin and temptation? How does Jesus do it? Um, he responds each time with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, Satan even, even quotes Scripture. He quotes the Psalms when he tells Jesus to uh, jump off the ledge. He says, oh, your angels will command. You know, They'll command. They'll take care of you. Um, And Jesus responds, no, 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 no. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is aware not just of like random snippets of a Bible verse, but aware of the whole story of God's faithfulness. And in the midst of temptation, you and I need to be reminded not only of what God uh, commands us to do and, and asks us not to do. We also need to be reminded of who God is. It can be so tempting in the midst of temptation to buy into the belief that God will not be faithful. Like, like if I continue to trust Him and to follow Him, this is going to be hard, and, 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 our, and we're tempted to believe He won't be faithful. We're tempted to believe it would be so much easier for you to think things my way. Uh, I've known a number of people over the years who have left the Christian faith, and, and most of them if not all of them, it's not been because of like an intellectual thing. More often than not, it is because, you know what? Like following Jesus is just really hard. And I kind of want to do what I want to do. Of course, we can use all sorts of flowery language to do that, but at the end of the day, that's so often the thing that is driving people. And Jesus has come to do battle against that temptation and he does so by reminding you and me of who God is. It's interesting. Over and over in the, New- in the Old Testament, one of the most repeated things said about God, God says that about himself sometimes. Sometimes uh, others like the Psalms quote God and remind us of this. One of the most common phrases we are told about God is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's one of the most common descriptors of who God is throughout the Old Testament. Over 80 times. Over 80 times, that's how God either describes himself or is described. Why? A lot of the Old Testament books are written to the same people. Like, it's not like the author is like reintroducing God. Like, oh, by the way, we're talking about God now. And this is, I don't know if you remember, but this is who God is. This is what he's done. Um, They didn't need to be reintroduced to God. They needed to be reminded of who God is and what he's about. He is a God that rescues and redeems people. That's who he is. In fact, that's what he, that's, those are the words spoken right before he gives the Ten Commandments. Before he, before he tells the Israelites to do anything, he tells them who he is and what he has done for them. Therefore, we live in light of that. And that's the invitation of this passage as well, is to live in light of who God is and what he has done some of you have heard me tell this story before, but my, uh, my in-laws live, they used to live next door to a guy who was an engineer at Lexmark and he had this prototype printer like 10 years ago. And he was like, Hey, this is one of our like best laser printers. And I designed this whole thing. This is a prototype. You can't buy it in a store, but I need to, I need people to test it. Um, and so I'm going to give it to you and I want you to let me know, like, if you have trouble, do not try and fix it yourself. Don't look up on the internet, how to fix it. Like, You're going to have to come to me. I'm I'm literally the only person that you can come to that will know how to deal with this. What we are told over and over in Scripture is that God has made you. And he knows you. And he knows what is best for you. And on top of that, he loves you. And he cares for you. And so what he calls you to, and what he calls me to, is done out of love. He loves you. And he calls us to follow because he loves you. Um, I mentioned I like soccer. I grew up playing soccer. Um, the, the, best, the best coaches I had were the ones that would not only tell us to run a bunch of laps, but would actually run the laps with us. The coaches we disliked the most were just like, go do this. I'm going to sit here in my fold-out chair and I'm going to watch you all suffer. But the, the best ones were the ones that said, hey, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to lead you in to this. And Jesus does the exact same thing here. Jesus will say flee from temptation. But, but, but even in that, he's not telling us to do anything that he has not done himself. Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among a people who are sinful, And it's amazing how many parallels there are between this passage and the Old Testament. Whereas Adam and Eve in the garden met Satan and failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus resists temptation. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness and failed over and over again. And whereas they failed, Jesus in our place resists temptation, quotes scripture back to Satan, and lives a sinless life. Jesus perfectly resists temptation and then suffers in our place. He perfectly resists temptation and then suffers the punishment for our failure to resist temptation, for the ways we fall into temptation. Many of you, hopefully, have watched the Planet Earth series. I think it's been a number of editions of it now, but um, I love it. It's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, we'll have a RUF Planet Earth night where we just sit and listen to David Attenborough tell us about nature, and it's amazing. But there's this, uh, in the jungle episode, they describe this fungus that spreads everywhere and kills all the animals it attaches itself to. And and so they have this episode where, where the fungus attaches itself to an ant. This is unbelievable. And when the fungus attaches itself to the ant, it infiltrates it and the ant, like literally its brain stops functioning and it goes and it climbs to a top of a tree and the the fungus grows inside of it to where the, the ant actually like literally kind of explodes and dies. Now what's crazy about this is that when there's a group of ants that are aware this is happening, an ant from among that colony is delegated to be sent out because there is a way for this, for this ant, for this fungus to, to be d- destroyed. Um, and so what'll happen is uh, eventually they have to send out an ant and the uninfected ant can remove the infected ant from the community so that the community will not be destroyed. But uh, that ant will get infected and that ant will die. But that's the only way. The only way when they sense it is for an ant to go with that ant. That ant will be affected and died. That is amazing. (laughs) In nature, God has given us like an amazing picture of the gospel. (laughs) An uninfected animal going and dying to save a colony of people. And what do we have in the gospel? We have a savior who is tempted in every way like you and me yet without sin. But he goes to the cross to die for your sin and for my sin. And so so I hope that that is good news for you because the offer of the gospel is that for all who have fallen short, for those who trust in Jesus, their sin is wiped clean. And so if you are a failure here tonight, Jesus is in the business of redeeming Failures. If you're infected, if if you see your sin as gross, Jesus has come for you to deliver you and to die for you. And he's come to help you in the midst of temptation. I love the way Hebrews 2 puts it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. What about Jesus? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, For he, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus doesn't only want to rescue you from the penalty of sin. He wants to help you in the midst of temptation. And I know it's easy sometimes you read this passage to be like, well, of course Jesus resisted temptation. He's Jesus. Like, duh, we knew who was going to win this battle. But you know what's interesting? When you read this passage... Jesus doesn't like in the midst of temptation do do some like Jesus judo move. The, the same tools that Jesus resorts to throughout his life: prayer, quoting God's word, leaning into community. Read Mark fourteen. Uh, Read how he rests on God's word here in this passage. Um, notice how often Jesus prays. The same tools Jesus uses to fight against temptation of the same tools he gives to you and me. And this is one of the reasons we gather every Wednesday and we have small groups, and we have things like prayer group, is because every hour we're tempted in new ways and we need to be reminded of who God is and what he has done for us and how he helps us in the midst of temptation. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we do thank you tonight. Uh, Lord, that we do not have in you a God who merely tells us what to do and then expects us to get our act together. But Lord, you took on flesh uh, and you did direct battle with Satan. And where we failed and where we fail, Lord, you succeeded. And so, Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks that Uh, You died in our place. You died the death that that, that we deserve. And Lord, we no longer have to live in fear, but we can live in hope. And Father, I pray, I I pray that that truth uh, would give us hope when we have failed, but Lord, that also that truth would transform us and make us long to follow you and to trust you because you are a good king who leads his people by sacrificing for them. Lord, that's the type of king we need. That's the type of king we can follow and obey. Lord, help us.